Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome to All Things Therapy Podcast. I am your host, Lisa Tahir. Happy New Year. This is the first episode of our new year of 2022. I hope that everyone listening or viewing is is doing well. I am settling back into New Orleans, and it feels really good to be home and born and raised and some rain on and off, but that's the South, and it feels really comforting to be in New Orleans after having some time in Los Angeles recently. I am a licensed clinical social worker. You know that if you've been listening and watching, and I practice as an intuitive psychotherapist. I offer sessions by Zoom and FaceTime, as well as over the phone. And if you're looking for someone to work with, reach out to me through my website. It's nolatherapy.com, standing for New Orleans Los Angeles Therapy. I'm delighted and happy to work with you to help you resolve issues around anxiety, depression, stress. I really love working with people and developing their sense of spirituality, creating a life purpose and mission and vision, and really helping you live into that more and more progressively and shifting the negative and fear-based thoughts that I talk about in my book, The Chiron Effect, really hold us back from living the lives that we want. We can only go as far as our largest limiting belief, if you just sit with that for a moment. And by identifying what those limiting beliefs are, we have a desire yet don't believe we can have it, or we don't know how. And that causes a disconnection within us that causes the depression or anxiety and keeps us stuck in our in our orbit and our frequency. I call it the Chiron effect in my book. Chiron being the astrological placement and our birth chart, which illuminates our deepest vulnerabilities and wounds, things and parts of ourselves that we often don't like to acknowledge because we might feel embarrassed about things like having low self-esteem, yet being outwardly successful. So if any of this is resonating with you, reach out to me, nolatherapy.com. I'm also on social media at those tags on YouTube, on Facebook and Instagram at NOLA Therapy, and I'd love to connect with you and work with you. I have some great sponsors offering you some cool things if you are into downloading music. Amazon Music sponsors this podcast. You can get three free months of downloads by going to getamazonmusic.com forward slash ATT for all things therapy, three free months, as well as if you like audiobooks 
Audible is my sponsor. My book is on Audible, The Chiron Effect, Healing Our Core Wounds Through Astrology, Empathy, and Self-Forgiveness. And Audible will give you a free audiobook download if you don't have a subscription already by going to audibletrial.com forward slash all things therapy. And if you enjoy what you've been listening to and viewing on this podcast, consider becoming a sponsor through Patreon, my page where you can find out the offers that I am giving to you as my supporter is found at patreon.com forward slash all things therapy. Okay, I am delighted to have my first guest of the year, a dear friend of mine. She is Dr. Manuela Menendez. She's a psychoanalyst and a licensed psychologist. She practices in the Miami, Florida area, offering online sessions in her private practice. She provides LGBTQI-friendly psychotherapy, as well as culturally informed psychoanalysis. And we're going to talk about what those terms really mean in a practical sense. Manuela treats teens and adults. Her website, if you want to go check that out, is drmanuelamenendez.com. It will be in the show notes. And Manuela is adjunct faculty at the University of Miami and has worked, which I think is so interesting, with previously homeless individuals with co-occurring mental health and substance abuse issues. Welcome, Manuela. Hi, thank you. Nice to be here. It's so nice to have you on. How how are you today? I am doing pretty great. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm really delighted that you're with us today to take some time and help us understand psychoanalysis. And as I approach this show, Manuela, and, and speaking with you today, you your training and experience spans over 20 years in mental health. So you bring a deep and rich um, you know, experience and years and your passion to this work using psychoanalytic principles, which you utilize to help people heal. And so I have two kind of opening questions, and please choose which one to start with. I'm curious, what is psychoanalysis, and what drew you to this particular paradigm? Uh, Well, psychoanalysis is a form of psychotherapy. Um, I guess I I can talk about psychoanalytic psychotherapy first, which is basically a theory of treating people's problems that has an underlying idea that we have unconscious or um or out of our awareness fears and wishes which we may not be allowing ourselves for all kinds of different reasons to not really be aware of and so we sort of go around in the world doing all these different things that we think we're actually choosing and we think we actually want them but then they end up making us unhappy. So it's my job to kind of try to help people to understand really what's underneath the idea of what, what do they really want. Um, so psychoanalysis is a way to explore that through trying to bring to light unconscious motivations, desires, and wishes. And what I mean by unconscious is that a lot of people will think like, oh, well, that's, that's 
deep and dark and you don't you know you don't really have access to that that's something that's like i'm sure i'm sure you have had an experience where like a word you'll like mispronounce a word or you'll see someone and you'll forget their name even yes what you talk to all the, like very simple things so i would see that as actually a little clue that something's going on underneath everything that we may not be aware of Oh, that's so interesting because I often question when those things happen, especially seeing someone and their name escapes me since I tend right. to be really good at remembering. What mm-hmm. what might that indicate? Anything off the cuff? Well, the only thing that I can tell you off the cuff is that yeah. it indicates a little tiny arrow that's pointing there that something is going on for you either in that moment that a thought passed through your brain that you you kind of froze you up a little bit that you didn't want to be totally aware of, or it may be something with that actual person. But okay. so this is another thing that I love about um, psychoanalysis or psychoanalytic psychotherapy. It, there's no one size fits all. Like, you know, those dream interpretation books that they're like, yes. oh, if your teeth fall out, it means X, Y, or Z. You can't, in, in the theory that I use, you can't really say that because like, what what may be a symbol for me may mean something completely different to you based on your life experiences, your culture, all those kinds of things. So it's like a very unique, all of our unconsciouses are extremely unique. That's such a good point to, to remember, because I think because of books like that, we're taught, or I was taught, it's more, um, it's standardized. Hearing There's so, there, I think it is individualized. It can be both, obviously, like, um, we all can we all can look at an airplane and think mm, travel that makes okay. sense but travel for you might have a very different connotation for me like let's say travel for you is always about wonderful vacations let's say travel for me was horrible memories about bad trips that i took with my family you know what wow. i mean so yeah like we, we both look at it and say travel but what it means for us and all the 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 associations we have are going to be very different Oh, yeah, <laughs> I follow you 100%. Yeah. What you know, this causes me to bring up and I'm not going to lose track of what drew you to this paradigm. But I feel like since you're talking about these, what's kind of out of our conscious awareness, what yeah. what is the role of the subconscious and psychoanalysis? What subconscious you're specifically talking about? Subcon- okay, so because I think, and this is something that's important to talk about in terms of when people think about psychoanalysis or psychoanalytic psychotherapy, they tend to think about Freud and id, ego, superego. And so I, not just me, that is a very old theoretical understanding of how our minds are built. And so people will often talk about the iceberg theory, right? So like the idea is like the little tip of the iceberg is like our conscious mind. Yes. We're aware. So let's say that's like 5% of really what's going on in our psychology. And underneath is 95% of the size of the iceberg. And that's our unconscious and everything that's like driving us and moving us. So in psychoanalytic theory, you can have an unconscious, then there's the pre-conscious which is like, okay. let's say, the little tiny film right before it gets into the conscious mind. Okay. So as a psychoanalyst, you try to help the patient or the client identify something out of their unconscious in a way where they can kind of start 
bringing it up to their pre-conscious and then you would say an interpretation or something and then boop, it pops into the conscious mind. Okay, interesting. Once something becomes conscious, uh, it, it is it, the idea is that it will no longer kind of cause you problems if you're really aware of why you're doing what you're doing. So if you become uh, aware of your unconscious motivations, then you actually have some choice to make decisions. And it won't drive your life in the backdrop like Carl Jung that quote, and we'll call and we call it fate. These unconscious things that are exactly. informing our decision making that we're unaware of. Is that accurate? Yes, exactly. It's a, it's a similar thing. Yes. So what drew you to this paradigm? Because it's very unique to focus on those factors, I think. Um, well, in so what drew me, I've always believed that childhood experiences are extremely important. And our unconscious mind is really built by all of our childhood experiences. Some people might even say in utero, but I think most psychoanalysts, when they think about childhood experiences, they even think about sensory pre-verbal experiences. Like okay. let's say a little tiny infant all of a sudden feels some clawing in their stomach and they start having all of these bad feelings and they look and they see this being that is there while they're having these bad feelings. And then all of a sudden the idea, the theory is that in their mind, they could associate that. And this is, let's say Kleinian theory with the bad breast or the bad mother. And so now you internalize that and that's how your unconscious is built. So let's say then as an adult, you become frustrated because somebody is not giving you, somebody's not helping you with your pain. And so you kind of have a temper tantrum. So this, and you don't know what's happening. You don't know why this always pisses you off and whatever. So yeah. To me, it's fascinating to think that all of our, oh, and here's another very important part. On top of these experiences we have as children, we realize either through our interactions with others or with our caregivers or because we experience pain or something that we need to then repress. Right. And push down. Like shut down and, even. Sorry? Even shut down at times. Totally. Yes. And that. So then whenever that happens, whenever us children or a little kid, we got to push this down and suppress it. And it was so terrifying. We can never kind of think about it again, or it was so um, disturbing to another person. We can't show it. We push it down and then that becomes our unconscious. That becomes the furniture of our unconscious house. Mm. So I was always drawn to this because I believe that we're built by all of our experiences and through our relationships with people. Mm -hmm. And this was the only theory that I found that really took that into account. And also I felt really took into account the role of the therapist. Okay. So you're in there with your client or your patient and you're having a real relationship with them. And what do I mean by that? Yeah. Well, I think about my office as a laboratory okay. for a, like, let's say a microscope for, so the patients and clients will come in and they'll say, you know, this thing keeps happening over and over. I don't know why I feel like this or whatever. I'm always thinking, I don't, I'm not just like listening to their words. I'm not just listening to how I feel with them in the room. I'm not just hearing their dreams. I'm not just um, asking them questions. 
I'm also thinking about my relationship with them in terms of, okay, they came in here with this particular problem. How is this particular problem going to show up between us? And how then can I tell them, hey, remember that thing that you told me that happens to you out there? I just realized it happens in here with us. Let's now really unpack everything and truly try to understand what's happening with wow. me and the role of the therapist. So okay. the good thing about that is that they don't need to protect me. Mm -hmm. The idea is I, I'm always there for, for them and their problem. Um, and you don't really get that out. Well, one doesn't really get that out in the world because in relationships, someone's always, you know, it's always a back and forth. Even though that does happen in therapy, the idea is that if you're a therapist that understands this very, very well, you're at least more aware of when your stuff is flowing into the relationship. Does that make sense? It makes so much sense. Does it make you a target? And if so, how, how do you handle that? Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that I do, which, I, which is super fascinating, is that I, whenever I'm hearing stories about my patients, when they first come in, I always think, who's the worst person in their life and who's mm -hmm. the best person in their life? Okay. Because I'm going to be both of those. And can I be okay with that? Wow. Um, because of course, psychoanalysis, there's always going to be three things. Always. There's always going to be transference. There's always going to be a defense and there's always going to be resistance to the defense. Okay. We're always trying to patient going to need me to be in their life so that then in the office, I can work it out with them. Yes. So they so work it out in real time with you exactly. to interrupt that pattern operating in their lives outside of your office. Exactly. Exactly. Which can sound a little kooky, right? So the idea is like, well, you know, who are you? You're like a total stranger. Like that's not going to happen. But when we're under stress and when we're in pain, it's very difficult for us not to go, not to function from the place of like, I need to survive no matter what. Mm -hmm. So even if a person is really trying to see me as the quote unquote benign therapist in the treatment at some point, something will happen where, where they will get so stressed that they're just going to sort of downshift into survival mode. And that's where I'll get to see like really, really what happens. Why yeah. do they feel so unsafe? Can I help them sort of come out of it and then look at what just happened in a way that can help them in the future in their other relationships? And are people usually open to that, Manuel? Do they know this is going to happen? Do you kind of psychoeducate them that this is something that will be happening? So you know. So I. So they so know. People often don't know that that's going to happen. Okay. And I always try to tell them in the console, I'll meet with someone one to three times to like get a sense of what they're coming in with to get a sense of if it's a good fit between us and to get a sense of if, if I think I can help them. Mm -hmm. I will then explain to them exactly what I just explained. This is like a little laboratory. These patterns that happen out there are going to happen in here. I'll tell people, please be as absolutely honest as you can be. Like literally when we're in the room, if I'm saying something and you're like, oh my God, I can't stand this person or, oh my God, I want, please tell me. Okay. Because there's a reason why that's happening. And if you can tell me in that moment, the faster the treatment will go. So basically yes. what I'm trying to tell them is free associate. Mm -hmm. 
just talk about whatever's on the top of your mind, no matter how irrelevant it seems. And you're giving them permission to be authentic and verbalize that, which is powerful. I mean, they're, they're not doing anyone any fav- favors in terms of being cordial or like the more authentic and genuine they can be, the quicker we can get to what's going on with them. Absolutely. You know, I've experienced that when I've worked with clients multiple times a week for a long period of time. And this was happening during Hurricane Katrina. And it was interesting because that transference was so powerful onto me. And I think that's happening. Okay, I had to couch it in the context of their experiences, their early patterning. And sometimes it felt really uncomfortable, especially when there was a transference of anger. That was challenging for me because then my counter-transference you know, was growing up in an angry household yeah. and, and wanting to avoid that kind of conflict. So I felt like I was growing so much personally in my own work while I'm working with, with these individuals. And it was very intense. I'm curious how you, how do you personally manage that for yourself? Well, I am in my own five times a week analysis and have okay. been for many, 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 many years. Yeah. Um, and I think that that helps a lot, obviously, because you're, you're, it is a lot of pain and a lot of energy and not, not just pain, but we experience, you know, all facets of relationships with, with our, or at least, you know, at least I, I, I do with our patients, happiness, sadness, disappointment, you know, all that. Yeah. Stuff. So I have my own treatment. And then I also, if I meet with someone that's particularly difficult in terms of my own reactions to them. I'll also many times consult with an outside, um, you know, it's a consultant or supervisor, I guess it's consultant, just to make sure that, you know, all hands are on deck and that I don't do anything that is not taking care of the patient. Mm Um, so that's kind of what I try to do. And then other than that, try to do things that make me happy in my personal life. Um, and you know, try to sort of shut off, like when I'm not working, yeah, I'm not trying to be a therapist. Like, I just want to be me and not think about stuff and not be be in the moment. Exactly. Exactly. So that, that's kind of what I try to do. I appreciate your transparency about that, Manuela. It's helpful. And I learned through my career the importance and the value of unplugging from being the therapist and not yeah. carrying that into my personal relationships, even when people think I might be or, oh my gosh, you're a therapist. Yeah. And it's so true that we're not always in that mind. We're not always in that analytical mode. And to just be free to be in the moment is so necessary and important. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and like, just like you brought up, like when someone's like, Oh, I often hear this. Oh, but you're a therapist. Oh, yes. Like, what, why does that bother you? And it's like, well, cause I'm a human being. And exactly. Like, I'm, I'm experiencing things and like things affect me too. So yeah. Bringing that human component and empathy and doing with others and with yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let me see. You know, I noticed that you tr- that you treat and work with addictions, and I was curious how you treat addictions with this modality. 
So, I mean, that's a really interesting question because it's actually quite controversial. The idea okay. of, you know, and, and one of the ideas of why it's controversial is because this kind of, this kind there are several, but one idea is that this kind of therapy is the type of therapy that it's really going to open you up mm -hmm. and you, because you really, it's kind of like having a wound that's infected and then slightly healed over. So you come into therapy and I'm going to say, okay, listen, I know this is going to be horrible, but trust me, PS, you don't even know me, but I'm asking you to trust me. We're going to cut that open again. We're going to clean it out and then we're going to let it heal properly. That's a big, that's a big ask of someone. Right. You also, in order to do that kind of work, have to have enough resources for when things get tough mm -hmm. and so the problem one of the problems with addiction is that people who have addictions um obviously are in pain and right. so if they're if they're already in pain and you're like well listen i'm gonna give you more pain oftentimes what happens is that those behaviors increase sure so what because I that's the main coping Exactly. mechanism oftentimes exactly so very often what i do with people who and i don't like i don't so when i say that i work with people with addiction i don't specifically say please if you have an addiction i i, I can help you no matter what i work with people and their issues and if part of their issue is an addiction then i i i will work with that too but what i'll do is do preliminary work first sure so before opening the person up yeah I make sure they have the resources to deal with, like when the going gets tough. Absolutely. Do they have a, you know, a community around them? Do they have a set of tools to be able to rely on when the going gets tough? Do I feel that they're starting to trust me enough where if they're starting to have an issue, they can reach out to me and say, listen, I'm struggling, that kind of thing. Yeah. So what I find oftentimes is that the people that I work with who have an addiction, as we start really getting to really what the pain is, not what they think the pain is, but mm -hmm. really what the pain is and really start talking about it. <coughs> oftentimes, every time that I've done this, they start not needing to cover their pain so much. That's awesome. So they're dealing with it. Yes. So, and again, I'm not an addiction specialist, and I think addiction has that very biological component that is something very different. So I'm talking about when I work with people who, who come in, let's say, with depression, anxiety, and also happen to have this other thing going on, on the side. I wouldn't deal with someone that says, listen, I've been drinking alcohol for 20 years, and I need, and I need to stop, and that's my main thing, because... I would be worried about the biological. So I would say sure. that to a specialist. Yes. Um, does, that, does that make sense? Makes so much sense. Okay. Yes. Okay. You know, what, is there a, a certain type of person, your, your conversation, your statements are making me curious, a type of person and issues that really work well into psychoanalytic psychotherapy versus others? Definitely. So Oftentimes, the people who do really well in this kind of therapy tend to be people that are very curious, like people who are always like, oh, I wonder why that's happening. I wonder why that's happening. People who tend to be more open-minded um, 
because just like you were saying before you were when you asked like well do people really come in and like know what it is that you like actually do with that whole like, transference thing like there are people that will come in and say absolutely not i do not want to talk about my childhood that's nuts i don't even know what you're talking about really fair enough absolutely okay okay well, you know listen different strokes for different folks which is thank thank god we have so many different types of ways to help people yes um but so so going back to psychoanalysis so curiosity openness um people who notice that they've tried other things that haven't worked so i, I see a lot of people who are like well I tried this type of therapy or that type of therapy, but I felt like, I don't know, just wasn't getting under, like it wasn't really touching that thing inside of me or that emptiness that I feel or that thing that I've always carried that I don't really have words for. So it's I, oftentimes I'll see people that have tried two and three different courses of other treatments. Okay. Um, so it's people also who are like, I, this is like the last thing I'm trying <laughs> and they they go to it like if it's almost like the weirdest kind of thing that they're okay the most like cool. your last stop kind of like this is this is it like life has brought me here um yeah. and really open i'm sensing like in in the desperation there's also a lot of openness totally to yes. really give their all their yes. full presence it's i mean listen it's a hard sell sometimes because people don't want to go back and deal with their pain mm-hmm. and what i'm saying is oh no no no, no it's it's back there. So people say, well, why do I have to talk about my childhood? I don't want to talk about my childhood. And I'll say, great, we don't have to. Okay. Childhood is happening right now. Wow. Yes. Out there and inside right now with us. So we could not talk about your childhood. And and there's some people that I never talk about their childhood. It doesn't matter because the patterns are going to be repeated one way or another. Yes. That was going to be the, the other part that I was going to tell you. People who are like, oh my gosh, I keep having the same problem. I keep trying different ways or whatever, and I always end up with the same result. Like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. So those types of people also, the people who, have, who already come in knowing like, okay, here's the pattern. This keeps happening. Help me with this. Yeah. You know, Manuela, in another life, psycho being a psychoanalyst would be so appealing to me because when okay. I when I approach my book, and it's centered around, and I talk about this in, in the first chapter, around Freud and the repetition compulsion yeah. that he put out there, I think, in 1914 or 16, and yeah. how we repeat these patterns from our childhoods. And I learned that object relationists said that yeah. same thing in a different way. And it got me so fascinated to offer something utilizing a slightly different slant on it to help myself heal, because I felt like I was still in some patterns of my childhood, despite being in therapy for numerous, numerous years. And even with clients coming in, like I hear you saying, and, and having, I felt frustrated personally and professionally. And so psychoanalytic and analysis, it sounds like really gets at that core to disrupt the patterns. How would you know when it's complete? Say when your work with someone is complete, what is that that's a great that's a great question so that is a really really good question so how do you know it's over so i just told you that after all this time i'm still in treatment so i i will say that i'm still in treatment because of the job that i do Mm -hmm. because if i wasn't doing the job that i did i think so how do you know, how do you, when you're done, I think that when you're already saying 
My therapist would say this about it. My therapist would say that about it. Oh, this. So when you've internalized that voice and it's not even the therapist, it's when you've internalized that analytic attitude. Mm -hmm. Oh, this happened. This just happened. I felt like this. Then I had this reaction. Oh, that reminds me of that thing. Oh, okay. So instead of doing this, what I really wanted that. So then I'm going to do that, that whole internal process. Once that gets internalized, you're pretty much done. Okay. So another way that I think about it with patients is, so I'll have some patients who are like, I've been here years and nothing's happened. I feel exactly the same way, but you look at their outside life yeah, and it's totally different. So you feel like we've been doing this a long time. Like I'll help them say like, okay, let's think about your life, how it was when you first started and how is your life now? Yes. And you see that change. So internal and which then I'll have a different conversation with them, which will be like, what do you think's going on that you're not letting yourself be happy? Mm. Or what do you think is going on that you don't want to see the change? So, so that becomes like a different issue. Conversation. Yeah. So for me as a therapist, I'll think about those two things. I'll think about what does their outside life look like? I'll think about, um, are they having that internal analytic attitude and also think about how I feel with them. Okay. Because I'll get it. People change over time and you become really close and you, you both learn how each other are. And so I feel like when I'm no longer surprised, but I say that's it. Like, okay. It has run its course. Wow. And then how is it to terminate after you've been working with someone so intensely and potentially for years? I think that would be challenging. Hard. I mean, I think about it the way that parents and, and I don't mean this to be infantilizing at all. And, right. But I do think about it in terms of like how, you know, the job of a parent is to help a kid survive on their own. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Um, and because if you're, what's going to happen if you're not around? Right. So I feel like it, it feels like that, like the person has graduated, they're, mm-hmm. they're moving on to bigger, greater and amazing things. And you get kind of just left in your office, right. still there, you know, so it's, there's a sense of sadness. There's a sense of happiness. There's a sense of cycles being completed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, like I'm not, I'm not somebody who tells patients like, that's it, we're done and we're done. Like, I'm like, okay, well, I always think if they want to come back for something else, people call it uh, a retread. Okay. So, so they're, they're more than welcome. I think that there's nothing more traumatic than the idea that you cut off a relationship. Absolutely. So I would never, I, I would never do that. So but there are some people that leave and I never hear from them again. And there are other people that I hear about intermittently. They'll send me emails. Yes. And then some people do come back. You know, in this same thread for me as well, Manuela, working often long-term with clients for years when, when they'll have, say they'll get married, their first child and their children come in. It's like this, you know, lifelong experience with them. And when some of these individuals have terminated, I'm like sobbing after because it's like, you know, like you said, they're going on to what they really want and how they want to live. And so the question I've asked myself, and I'm curious, like, what is going on in my psychology that I've chosen a profession that I'm having these goodbyes, you know, that feel so painful. And it's like, you know, the client's the one to come back. We're not 
calling and, you know, pursuing our clients. Like, what does that mean about me that I've chosen a profession where there are these goodbyes that then bring up for me a sense of emotional loss? You know, have you thought of that as an analyst? Like what that means about about your psychology? I do. And I think it means that I'm crazy. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. So I, I, I do think about it. And I, this is what I think. When I was very little, when I was a kid, I struggled. I I had depression and I had anxiety and I saw a therapist and and I thought, I want to do this for people. Um, I didn't know necessarily what the this was, but I just knew like, I went into this room, I talked to this guy, he made me feel like it was important the things that I had to say and that my thoughts and feelings mattered. Mm-hmm. And that really helped, that really helped me feel not alone. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to help people feel not alone. I love that. So you, it is sad when they, when people leave um, and it's hard, but it also is such, I, I can't imagine doing any, and I get to have, like, I always, people ask me like, well, what is it like to, do what you do. And I'm like, well, imagine every day getting to read the most amazing, interesting books that you don't know how they're going to start. You don't know how they're going to end yes. or, or whatever. And you get to, to learn about yourself and you're constantly growing. Yes. It's like the best job ever. It is. It's so exciting and deep. And in the dedication to my book, I talk about how being a therapist has really shaped, shaped me. And it's such a sacred intimacy between a, a therapist and a client. And I talk about just that journey for me that I didn't, I didn't quite realize the fullness and the depth of it. I knew when I entered therapy at 21, which you might remember, it was really life-changing in a good way for me. And I knew likewise that this is what I want to do. I want to help people, um, younger people when possible change, you know, what they're believing to be true and help them love themselves more deeply and not go through some of the things that I did if possible. And, you know, it's just like, wow. And here it is all like over 20 years later and it never changes. Like it never gets, you know, any, any, um, I don't, I don't know if easier or just still as exciting. Yeah. That's a great, I mean, sacred and exciting are two fantastic words to describe what, what, what we're doing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So is what drew you going back to the earlier question having to do with when you were young and in therapy and really positively affected in that sense and wanting to do that with your life? Yes. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Like I, I definitely saw the value, the importance and just how, how interesting it was. Um, and then for, and then I, I started like kind of at an early age reading about dreams and dream interpretations and what does this mean? And I've also always been very interested in, in religion and beliefs. And I, I don't know, it just felt like it all, I remember reading about, you know, I read a lot of like Roman and Greek mythology and, 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 and I just remember thinking like, wow, we all, there are ways in which all of us are so similar Mm-hmm. but then also so different at the same time. And like, how, how can I do this more? Like how yes. can I hear these stories from people more? And, and this was kind of the way, the way to do it. That makes so much sense. 
I'm curious, what is next for you, Manuela? Do you have something that you desire that you haven't created or done yet? Like, do you see a book? Do you see, like, what professionally, personally for you? I, so I teach at the, the Florida Institute for Psychoanalysis, which is where I graduated from. Awesome. I would, you know, I want to, I want to keep teaching. I think I would love, um, and I've been starting to work on writing. So not, not books, but there's, there've been several ideas that I've had in terms of, you know, journal articles in particular with relational psychoanalysis Mm -hmm. that I would really want to sort of focus on. So I want to keep doing the work that I'm doing. I want to keep growing that practice. Yes. I want to start writing. What Um, is relational psychoanalysis since you brought that up? So so it went like, okay, Freud and, you know, you, so people talk about union psychoanalysis, but that's actually different. Yeah. Um, I sense it's different. Sort of like the ego psychology was started with Freud. So it was like Freud, then it was like his daughter, Anna Freud, Melanie Klein, and then something called the independent tradition. And those were kind of the three branches. From the independent tradition, you talked a little bit about, well, from Klein and the independent tradition, you talked about object relations. Yes. From that then comes, so often people will talk about relational and interpersonal psychoanalysis. Okay. And those are kind of treatment modalities of psychoanalysis where the relationship between you and the patient is the most important. And by that, I mean things like you and the, so people will often talk about, so there's, there's the patient and their psychology. There's you and your psychology. Mm-hmm. And then there's what gets created between the both of you. Yes. Very unique and different. So you'll notice, or you know, anybody who does this kind of work will notice, different people pull different things from them. So with one person, you might be softer. With one person, you might be more rigid. With okay. Person, you might be more jokey. Yes. Those differences are because it's a special combo that you make with that person. Got it. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So with relational psychoanalysis, it's very much about, you know, in the moment, what you're feeling with that person on that day. And it's very kind of like alive. You're having, you're, you're not, you're not really, you're not really necessarily hiding so much what you're thinking or feeling like you're just kind of, you're just kind of trying to be as genuine and as real as possible with the patient in that moment while also trying to like take care of them, if that makes yes. sense. Yes. So oftentimes, I don't know if you've noticed this, I definitely have noticed it with myself. There'll be things that in the hour happen that I may not mention to the patient or the client. Like they may have looked a certain way, they may have said a certain way, they may have spoken to me with like a certain edge. Right. That I might be like, okay, well, I'll just put that in my back pocket and think about that for later with the with let's say relational psychoanalysis in the moment you would say okay you know i just i just heard something in your voice like i i wonder i wonder if you're angry with me like can we talk about what just happened right now and you kind of like go there in the moment i think that's the kind of psychoanalysis i was more familiar with what you're describing right now yeah like using the moment <laughs> and what's happening between the exactly. two of you yeah that's kind of the most contemporary i would say okay 
So Manuela, in closing, what, what do you want people to take away about psychoanalysis and about your work? Just kind of. Well, what I would want people to take away is that this isn't like a dinosaur in terms of treatment. Like this is a very alive, it's a very vibrant treatment where if you want to work with somebody that is going to be in the weeds with you and it's gonna like whatever you're going through, they're gonna be with you going through it and trying to to help you through that. I would say consider psychoanalytic psychotherapy. If you feel like your past and your history has affected you and you don't know how to make sense of it, try psychoanalytic psychotherapy. Um, even if you're like, I never want to think about my past, but I keep repeating the same things over and over again. I keep having the same relationships. Try psychoanalytic psychotherapy. I would say give it six months. Okay. That's reasonable. That's doable. That's often what I tell people, like try it six months, see how it goes, see how you feel. And then you can always try another, another, another kind of therapy. So that's awesome. I think people, I think everyone should at least try it. What, if they're going to do any therapy, at least try it for six months. Yeah. And Manuela is the best way for people to reach out listeners and viewers today to go to drmanuelamenendez.com. Yes. And my email is, is the same thing. Doctor, just drmanuelamenendez at gmail.com. If you have any questions about psychoanalysis or psychoanalytic therapy, i would be very happy to answer those questions. And you do online sessions as well, correct? I do. I do online sessions. And then I also have an, an office here in Miami. Awesome. Manuela, thank you. This is such a delight to have you in this format after um, all these years of knowing you. Thank you very much for having me on. This is fun. It's so great. I'm grateful for you in my life. Me too. I'm grateful for you in my life and congratulations. Thank you. And congratulations to you for creating this incredible practice and reaching people at, at such a deep level Thank to you. heal. You're Thank welcome. You. I hope you have a great evening. Okay, y'all, that concludes just, I've loved this time with my friend, Dr. Manuela Menendez and grateful that you hung in with us. I hope that something sparked in your mind and heart, Lisa at nolatherapy.com through email and on social media, NOLA Therapy, New Orleans, Los Angeles Therapy on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Join my email list, reach out to work together to, uh, I invite you to give this podcast a written review, all things therapy on iTunes. And just, I wish you the most wonderful day and weekend. All of my love. Listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir only on LA Talk Radio. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 
America. We are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu.